everyone out there. Welcome again to another episode of the Wrist Cheese Radio podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bro Dinky, and with me is the man who goes by only one name, Mr. <laughs> Schmidt, in the ilk of Chingy and Shakira, <laughs> of other people who go by only one name. Ah, but, yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, where are we musical going with artists? This? I was like, where are we going? Because I'm not famous, nor do I have any money and or any lyrical talent. So in other news, we've hit episode eight. Schmidt, how does that feel? It's good, man. It's it's amazing to see that people are still hanging out with us and uh listening to our horological hot takes, our taboo topics, and our unpopular watch opinions. So thank you guys for joining us on episode eight. How are you doing, my friend? Things are pretty good here. Last week was uh, a bit of a doozy. Like I said, Thanksgiving was going to be a, a real ass kicker, but survived. Got a lot of compliments on, on the turkey, so can't complain good. too much. Yeah, that's good. That's good. How many birds did you end up, end up putting out there? I think I wound up cooking 70. 70 turkeys. And 20, people are terrified. Yeah, and people are terrified to like make one. It's, that's, that's insane. Anyway. Uh, well, that's good, man. I'm glad you had a good Thanksgiving. How's uh, how's everybody else doing? Everybody's okay? Uh, the family's got a little bug going around. Kids are a little sick. Okay. Um, passed it on to me, as generous as they are, which was really nice. <laughs> I, the gift that keeps on giving. I was my worried. I was worried I wasn't going to be able to make the episode because I was I was a little hoarse. Yeah, but things have cleared up for the better. Um, yeah, Lucci's got pink eye, which is interesting. Okay, so, all right. And giving him drop, giving a a nine month old eye drops is a uh, an interesting experience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and anything with kids and illness is never a good day. So I yeah. feel for you, my brother. Yeah. Um, How's everything so what's up? Uh, no, it's good, man. It's good. Uh, you know, no complaints here. Nobody, you know, sick. But uh, as with anything towards the end of the year, there comes the stress of the holiday season. And it's both enjoyably fun and also terribly stressful and yeah. panic inducing, as I, I'm sure you are experiencing now. But uh, it's good. I'm, you know, Christmas is right around the corner um it's always a, it's always a, a treasure time for me and my family so i i could not be more excited for the end of 2021 yeah i think a lot of people can't to be honest i think uh, i think everybody's I think, just looking forward to the future a little bit yeah, like, I, th- I think we need a good reset that's what we said last year 2020. yeah we did we did <laughs> so hopefully 2022 turns out to be a much better yeah. uh <laughs> hold out for, for optimism there <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But in, in the vein of holding out for optimism in 2022, um, rather than looking back on a year like many people do, we wanted to look forward. So we wanted to take the approach of what we'd like to see more of in 2022, a wish list of sorts, whether okay. it be a model, kind of a theme, an accessory, whatever it might be. What do we want to see in 2022? I like it. I like it. And so I will lead off with my idea. The first one I have, I don't think it's going to be that surprising to people because I talk about it all the time, is that I'm really enjoying the what seems like a slow transition back to smaller size watches. Okay. I've owned everything up and down from, you know, 34 millimeter all the way up to 45. I, I can't even remember how big the Arnie is I have, even though it's, it's mostly plastic, so it really doesn't yeah. wear that bad. I've owned the gamut. And every time I just keep coming back to 34, 36, 38, anywhere in there. Yeah. And just that classic size just fits so well. And you always have those insecure bros who claim small watches are not for men or they're not masculine. And then you go back... Not that long ago, where the average size of a watch was 36, and then even farther back, they were probably closer to like 28 or 32. I mean, I don't know if you've ever watched Boardwalk Empire. It's back, um, yeah, yeah. it's about Atlantic City. Anyway, so I can't remember when it's set. I want to say it's set in like the 1920s because it's Prohibition. So I want to say it's the 1920s. And all the watches in that show are tiny. Yeah. But they're all like that Art Deco tank shape, but they all look so good. And these are on full-grown men. You know, Bobby Cannavale is not a small dude. They look great with the suits and the hats. Like, it's just a classic look, and I don't think you can really deny that. And I love it. I don't. I know yeah. not everybody loves it, but I love it. No, I, I I think that there's this is a good a good hill to be on because I'm with you on this. I think naturally the industry 
for many, many years, we were getting these like gargantuan Stallone-esque, Jason Statham-esque, you know, Rocky Balboa, just massive watches. And we've slowly started to see those numbers, the case size, the case dimensions, kind of slowly working themselves back. I mean, even what was it, Panerai? They just released like their first ever 38 millimeter watch. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, this is a company that historically has made massive timepieces for many, many, many years. And here they are trying to really slim down their, their sizing. So I think if this is any indication where the industry is headed, I think that this is going to happen. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to start seeing things downsize more and more. Um, and it's going to be good for the industry. So I'm with you on this. And it's, it's really funny that you mentioned the Art Deco thing, because in kind of our preliminary talks about this, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go with this and what I would love to see. And I've just been seeing kind of, I think, the teasings of what might be a new trend in the industry. And I think, yeah. as you pointed out, it's maybe a return to Art Deco style. And I really would like that. There's something very classic about the topography of that generation, the styling, the, the, the case dimensions that were just so quintessentially cool and classic. And I think that if watch brands could give us something unique and special outside of your traditional tank, outside of your traditional, you know, reverso, something else I think would do really well i mean hell Aura's just dropped that brand new yeah, that brand did. new rectangular case with the colorful straps i you know it looks like it may be marketed more towards ladies but i i kind of dig it like i like That's i really like those, those new cartier solars they made too in the different colors burgundy yeah. green blue like i think with the popularity rise of cartier i think that's a big possibility just kind yeah, of across I, the industry in general yeah, I mean, I would like to see it. Just give me something else. Give me some options. I want to see a return to rectangular case watches because I think they're very elegant. They look really cool. But, you know, give me some updated specs because the, the biggest attraction with, with rectangular cases is water resistancy because they're kind of hard to, to really seal. Usually everything's pressed together and fit. There's no screw down components that way. Um, so they can be a little bit more difficult day to day. But you know, give me something with a decent water resistance. It's going to be more of a dressy piece. I think that is going to kill. So hopefully, this is my prayer for 2022. We start seeing something a little bit more edgy. Give us some classic style, but some new stuff. I want to go back to, to some older things and size-wise too. I want to go I was, smaller. I was going to say, I think with that case shape and those dimensions, you're going to have smaller watches just because really big rectangular watches look kind of dumb. Yeah, they do. They don't, they don't wear well. Yeah. And I know some people are going to say, oh, uh, 34, but like not even that long ago, Rolex was releasing OPs and Air Kings in 34. Like, actually, I think one of the more recent, before the most recent gen of Oyster Perpetual, didn't they release that green one? I think it was 34. It's like a green Oyster Perpetual with orange accents. Oh, uh, I want to say it was 34. I really do want to say it's 34. Well, I, I, mean, I know historically and classically, the uh, uh, the uh, what was it the the it wasn't the date just but the Rolex uh, date yeah like that was a thirty four or thirty five millimeter and those case. are killer those are like and some they, of my they, favorite Rolexes they look great I mean it's just a good design but it's in a smaller compact size and you're right the Air King those were traditionally thirty four millimeter if my memory serves me correct so there is precedent here for this and a lot of guys like that and you know especially now we have a lot more people that are you know smaller stature they want something a little bit more compact. I feel like everything's kind of going that way anyway. Um, you know, a 34 millimeter timepiece is is pretty awesome. And last time I checked, Don Draper looks pretty freaking good in a 35 millimeter Seamaster Deville. Like, I'm I'm sorry, you're not gonna you're not gonna sit here and convince me that that dude is not a manly man, rocking that type of watch. It's just the rest of the industry has been hyper programmed to wear these gigantic beasts that now we kind of have to to go the opposite direction. Yeah, and, and look, I'm realistic. I realize this isn't gonna work for every watch and that a complex style can't always be small and that there are certain things that look better, bigger, right? Most fleegers are gonna look better, bigger. Yeah. That's inescapable. And I'm not saying everybody across the board should just downsize everything. No. But to me, the best part about having a small watch is I feel like 
the entire package fits within like your glance. Like you take a look at it and you get the entire thing where when you have a larger watch, it's hard to focus on looking right at it and then seeing the entire thing. When I check yeah. the time on, let's say a 36, I'm seeing the entire watch. When I'm checking the time on a bigger watch, like a 44, I feel like I'm seeing where the hands are. Yeah. And that's kind of it. And you kind of have to search for what you're looking for. It's like you see the time and then you're like, okay, they're like, you see the hands and then you're referencing the time, right? Like it's, and in large part, that was due to necessity. Like, I think you said it right. Like Fliegers, like they don't look good small no. because they were never designed to be small. Like that was a watch built out of necessity to be a larger timepiece because of legibility's sake. Like that was just, it's, it was very hard to see the time in a World War II bomber while you're doing night raids in complete darkness, unless that thing is gigantic. Okay. Make it big. It's easier to see. Most watches don't need to do that because you're not, you right. don't have that level of complexity in that usage. So there's, it, it can be just a standard thing. So, I mean, for me, uh, most people know, you know, and that have talked to me, I have a vintage Seamaster. It's 34 millimeters. I love that watch to death. When I put it on, I don't ever, ever feel like it is small. It feels like it is exactly the right size it was supposed to be. Um, and I, I know that this word gets thrown around a lot. People call it svelte. Right. Like it's like, this <laughs> is kind of like a, a funny word to be like, oh, my watch is small, but it still has presence. Like it's like, no, it's just small, but it really is. Like it has that, it has that feeling. Like it's a smaller, compact look, but it's, it doesn't look delicate. It doesn't look wimpy. It looks, it looks beefy. Right. Like, and it's funny, like the case design for, for this particular Seamaster is what collectors call the beefy lugs because yeah. it's got a little bit more shoulder to it. It just, it's got a presence. And even though it's small, it's like, it looks, it looks good. I, I get compliments on it every time I wear it. So somebody likes it. Yeah. Well, I just think everything looks very proportionately even when you have a smaller watch, concise, but it's still legible, which is really, yeah. at the end of the day, it's the name of the game. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I don't know. I've just, I've recently become very, I guess, obsessed visually with things being like, neat and concise on my watches and i i don't know what it's from i don't know if it's just my career bleeding over or what like my mental block with certain watches i look at them and if they're spaced out too much or they're i don't want to say asymmetrical because there's plenty asymmetrical watches that do it for me but certain ones with just like really awkward symmetries and things i i just yeah. can't get over that hump on them and i i just think the smaller watches just carry themselves so much better in that regard mm-hmm and I just, I think you're going to see things coming down. I mean, even just yeah. recently, right? Oris released that, uh, we talked about the pointer date yeah. last time out. Now they released one. It used to be 40, <laughs> now it's 38. We, somebody give us a, ma can we just take a moment to just like take a magic ball and like go back to episode from a week ago. And it's like, did we call it or did we call it? I'm that was pretty like, wild. I was like, we're, we're talking about pointer dates. Brand new Oris pointer date with the 400 series caliber comes out. Literally like on Monday. I'm like, what is happening? And then we strike lightning twice because the Doxas. <laughs> that was, <just laughs> that was pretty good. I was, was like, what is happening with this? Like, how did this come to fruition? That It blew my mind. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, well, there you go. Like, now I'm going to have to go find some cash and yep. put my money where my mouth is and eventually go buy this dang thing. Because I told everybody that I if wanted it. If it came it. out, I'm buying it. <laughs> I, I, I just, the only thing for me is like, I don't know which color that I want. Yeah, it's tough. Um, because they're they're all good, and I, I already have a sub three hundred with the professional dial, the, yeah. the orange. So I don't need the classic Doxa orange. That Caribbean uh, is nice. The Caribbean. See, I've always been a sucker for the Caribbean. I I really have. That blue and orange colorway looks really cool. I just I wonder if it's too close um, to my sub two hundred Doxa, which is the blue dial, like the oh, navy yeah. blue dial. So I'm just kind of thinking, like, I think I need to go balls to the wall and just be like diving star yellow yeah. or or the aquamarine turquoise. It's like, just just do it. I like the aquamarine. you know, I I just you know something about it that that light blue has always really called to me, and especially since Docs has started kind of like experimenting with that colorway. Like I, every time I see it, I like it more, and I think. I think maybe that's the way I have to go if I and do it's, a, it's not I do so, a 600T. It's not so turquoisey in person. It's more like a Carolina blue, like that yeah. Tar Heel. Yeah, blue. It, it's 
I've only I've only seen once uh, one of those in person. I saw one at the uh, the Watches of Switzerland store in New York in Soho because they carry the doxes there. And uh, I got a brief glimpse at it through the case. And I was like, it looks good. It looks, <laughs> it looks real good. And then now, now, granted, this is before the 600T came out. This was the, uh, the regular uh, professional line, the, the sub 300s and then the new sub 200s with the same colorways. But they, they, they look good. <laughs> it's like, I really want that color. So although it may be not the most masculine color out there, you know what? It's good. I think that that might be the one. So we'll see. We'll see. Now I got to convince the CFO that I need another watch. <laughs> yeah, but that like I said, they they decreased the size of that pointer date. It was I know they they offered it in forty and thirty six, but this one falls in at thirty eight. The case dimensions seem very clean on it, but I got to say they took off some of my favorite features. I know you were telling me the, about this. The old pointer tip that has kind of like the the two prong. I like that yeah. a lot. I don't really yeah. like the red arrow. It, it it plays with my eyes a lot because I think it's a GMT. Like yeah. I keep I keep looking at it and visually I'm confused with the fact that it's a GMT. And I and I get it. Like Oris has had a lot of different pointer date hands over the years. Like I I remember the one I talked about last on last week's episode um, that was my sister's friend's uh, pointer date. It was literally just a flat stick, so it meant like a T at the end. So it didn't have the curve to it because this the most recent one that we were talking about last time, it has kind of like that little like half moonish, like a groove, yeah, yeah. It kind of like flares out. And it's got like a half moon shape on the other side of it. Now it's just a straight arrow tip. Yeah. So they've had precedent for other types of handsets, but it's just like I'm with you. Like I like it. If somebody handed it to to me and was like, "Here, I want you to have this," I wouldn't be like, "Oh, it's horrible." I would never wear it. It's just. Like you, there was something a little bit more, maybe it's whimsical about the other one that I think I liked better. And the cathedral hands. Why, why would you take those off? Come on. I literally just got done gushing about them last week, and then we're getting rid of them. You know, man, it's uh, modernity. It's uh, modernity. It is. It is. Reject it's, modernity. Yeah, reject modernity. <laughs> it's just like people want people want conservatism in, in style as much as they want uh kind of crazy off the wall stuff there's really kind of like those two camps like i'm the guy over here rocking a turquoise doxa and some guys like can i just get a black dial dive watch yeah right? there's kind of that 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 thing so i think for most people um maybe the fence post style hands is a little bit more palatable in the day-to-day -day than than the cathedral type yeah you have like skx versus orange monster like <laughs> exactly black SKX, right? orange monster <laughs> exactly it's like those two different it's like it's like the red pill and the blue pill like which one are you going to take which watch collecting journey are you going to dive down um uh, so that's pretty cool uh what what else do you have what, what's kind of your next uh your next main aspirational hopeful thing in 2022 okay i would like to continue a theme that has been somewhat hot recently and that is mil spec the mil spec aesthetic i don't want to say mil spec down to the idea that a watch is made to the exact specifications that its old military heritage used to be like i that doesn't really matter to me that much but the mil spec look like that belova mill ships yes right yes. like that's a tight watch like the, the new mm -hmm. hamilton pilots the Timex Expedition North, like anything military looking that dirty dozen look to yeah. it, like just gets me. And that's field watches, fleegers, whatever. Like yeah. for some reason, I'm just a sucker for anything military inspired. They just feel super relevant. And I don't know if it's just because it harkens back to a time when the world felt like it needed watches or just that they were tough and you know they were built with tritium and they just felt super purpose built where yeah. now i know we just wear them as accessories and i don't play myself and be like we need these or these are tools and we use them every day like i use it to keep time that's what i do yeah. I, I check yeah. the time i see how my efficiency is going for the day like that's the maximum i do with my watches <laughs> but well, I, it's yeah, just I, that. and that's, yeah, that's what it is yeah i mean but you know for me, it's the nostalgia, right? It's like watches were always built to have a purpose. Now we associate them as like luxury items, right? Like 
It's like, oh, I spent $6,000 on a Seamaster. It's a luxury watch. When you think about like the lineage of a Seamaster, it was like, we're going to call it a Seamaster because it can conquer the sea, the ocean, not your 10-foot swimming pool with a Corona beer, right? Like we're talking about the actual wild, crazy ocean. Like you're going to go diving and do all these crazy things in this watch and it's going to hold up to it. And I think you and I, we've talked about this before. Our, our collecting journey is very similar in how we think about things because for me, you know, I'm always drawn to, to tool watches. And that's why for me, you know, divers are, are such a big part of my collection. Not even so much because I'm a diver, because I just love the utility of that type of watch. I know that no matter what, I'm not going to break it. I'm not going to damage it. There's nothing that I'm going to do to this piece that it cannot handle. Now, it may get beat up and scratched and dinged and all that stuff, because, but that's part of the ownership process. Like yeah. that, just, that just happens. And we talked about that before. But it's the idea that when you strap it on, it has a purpose. And I think so many of us forget that is because we're associating the cost of these things with you know, replacing the fact that these were at one point a tool, right? And the reason why they're expensive is because they used to be functional tools and they were the best that you could get for your money. Like that was, it was a quality thing, right? Um, but it's so funny that you mentioned the the mill ships. Like I have a, a collector friend of mine. I've talked about him before. Uh, he just got it. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah, he just got it. And I've been waiting to catch up with him because I want to see it in person. He yeah, just got... Sick. He just got he so he went on a watch buying spree like this guy. Shout out to you. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> he went on a watch buying spree. He bought the brand new Omega Chronoscope like a month ago or two. Which months one? Ago. Uh, he got the uh, blue dial with the silver subdials. OK, so he bought the Chronoscope, loves it. He got a call from the AD and was like, hey, we got an Apollo 8 dark side in. Ooh. So he bought that, too, like within two three weeks later right and so he was like all right i gotta kind of pump the brakes a little bit i gotta chill and next thing you know he's like yeah i bought a mill ships i'm like what he's like yeah the <laughs> bull of them he's like i bought a bull of a mill ships he bought a green dial seiko presage uh it's got like this kind of textured dial it's got um i think half arabics and half sticks on it it was on a leather strap it looks amazing and that's person. the one my buddy has i talked about it last week he's got oh okay yeah, the yeah. speedmaster it's that okay. one i can tell you okay yeah it's a gorgeous watch so i got to see that one uh uh this week and i was like man i was blown away and then he just picked up the messina lab big eye chrono oh the limited edition like an avocado green dial i'm like Dude. Like, bro, <laughs> like he's like you gotta like. Is your bank account okay? Like, like do I need to? Do we need to have an intervention for you? You need some help moving some stuff. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, that, and that's the thing. He does, he does make room in his oh, okay. collection, All so right. he moves stuff out. He does do that. So, like that green dial, the green dial presage, he sold to a friend of mine. But, um, but I'm just like, man, you are, you're on a roll, my friend. And it's so funny, it's just like I have to go see this watch because I've been, I've been wanting to see it. And he's like, it's awesome. He's like, it's weird, 16 mil lugs. It's a big case. It looks very funky, but he's like, he's like, it's a poor man's blunt pot. And I'm just like, I like that. So I got to check it out. We'll see. I'll, I'll have to show you a, a video report or a photo <laughs> report when I, when I get to put hands on it. While we're talking about Seamasters, maybe you'll know the answer as an Omega aficionado. How did they get so many old references with the name Seamaster on it, even though they weren't particularly diver-y? What do you mean? Like you have the old Seamaster, like the Cosmics and stuff, like all those 35 millimeter kind of dress watch looking ones. How did mm -hmm. they wind up with the name Seamaster on them? Oh, well, you have to remember. I mean, the Seamaster line was basically a dress, what we would consider today a dress watch when it first launched. So the collection debuted in 1948, three years after the conclusion of World War II. And what was unique about the Seamaster family was basically Omega was a major supplier to the British military during World War II. They were creating essentially prototype watches for use during combat. Okay. And these were watches that were designed and engineered to have somewhat of a high water resistance, shock resistance, and an uh, amagnetic resistance at that time. And once the war was over, basically Omega was like, hey, we kind of had all this R&D that was used during the war. Like, let's see if we can make this a commercial product and sell it and they took all that information that they learned from wartime watches and adopted it to a commercial version 
and they called it the Seamaster family, and that was debuted in 48. What was unique about the Seamaster is it was one of the first watches ever in history to use a rubber gasket to seal the case from moisture. Up up until that point in time, everything was using like lead, shellac, cork. Um, There was a lot of weird things that they were using. And so watches would be very good under certain circumstances, but they weren't always good and resistant at different depths, different temperatures, different pressure levels. Uh, And so they were prone to leaking. So the O-ring rubber gasket for the Seamaster became really the the way to seal it. And as you, as you know, today, I mean, like that's 99% of the watch industry uses that system. Yeah, exactly. So uh, like my vintage um, that I'll show you, I mean, like this Seamaster, like that was the Seamaster when it came out, like this was the watch that I'm thinking of. This is the watch that Omega was marketing as like, this is the gentleman's like seafaring sports watch. And like, you're like, wait, that's not a sports watch. That's like a cocktail tuxedo dress watch yeah. by today's modern standards. But back then, that was, that the was what yeah. that was what we considered uh, uh, to be like an over-engineered, tough as nails, active wear watch. Because for the first time, you could now like comfortably submerge your watch underwater. You didn't have to take it off to wash your hands. You didn't have to take it off if it was raining outside. Like this was a luxury at that time. And Omega really kind of helped to solve that problem with the with the introduction of this collection. So um, it wasn't until later that we started to see the Seamasters that we know today as like the the tough divers, like the 300, yeah. the Ploprof and things like that. So, yeah, I've heard a lot of people ask that question. I've never found the answer out. So I really I figured I would ask. OK, well, I'm glad. I'm, I mean, not that we were trying to get into that segue, but hey, you know, we're here for the education as well. So, yeah. no, I, th- I think it fits right with the military thing. And yeah, I, I think the cool part is you can still buy watches used by the military today. Yeah. As far as right. Marathon sells you actual watches that they use in the military. Yeah. And they come true. in a little cardboard box. I don't know if you ever got one from them. It's a tiny, like skinny cardboard. There is no frills. It's well, just... it's, it's it's all government issue, man. Yeah. It's all mills. Like you said, it's all mill specs. So it's basically like. You bought this watch government. Like your soldier's gonna throw the cardboard box in the trash can because that's where it belongs. And as long as we can keep the packaging safe and send it out, then it's good to go. Yeah, and I'll give my uh, my Hodinky homeboy a shout out. Uh, Cole Pennington actually just released an article about this, and it's instead of buying something in the military aesthetic, why don't you just buy something the military actually uses, like yeah. the real thing? And he's talking about had- marathon watches, which is yeah. Again, kind of cool. They use tritium. They have different, you know, you could buy in different movements and everything. And they're kind of priced all over the place, which is nice because not everybody needs like the super badass one. But yeah, no, not everyone needs a, a, a C star or a, a, not a C star, but the, um, the SAR, the SAR watches, search yeah. and rescue watches. So yeah, but, but no, that's it's, cool. It's you true. Can, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's true. And what's funny is, is since we're kind of on Omega and Millspec, is like a lot of people don't realize today, and this is not really openly discussed, but Omega actually makes, watches for specific military outfits around the world do like that to this to this day yes so historically this kind of started back in world war ii as i mentioned but uh even still today like the british uh special operations units the sbs the sas uh some special uh canadian forces australian military um there's been italian uh police units and stuff like that like basically like paramilitary or like swat teams Omega secretly makes watches for these people. And That's like, sick. And like nobody knows this, but it's like you'll find it kind of teased on like the dark ends of the forums on the Omega on the Omega watch forums, but it's not open information that a lot of people know about. But it's still kind of cool. And it's it, and it's fun for me because like as an enthusiast of the brand, I love knowing that they don't like to flaunt it. Like they just going to like low key make these watches and put them out there and people are going to use them and abuse them, but like Omega doesn't need to promote that it's that they're doing it. Yeah, you know? I will leave names out of it, but certain brands would champion that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> FXD, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So uh, so you were talking about uh, about about the, the mill spec, and, and, I, and I certainly do agree with that for sure. Um, for me, I guess my next big one, and I don't even know where this, uh, this came from. I feel like as I've gotten more seasoned in collecting and, and kind of more set in my ways, like, I'm now the epitome of like 
the old man sitting in a lawn chair on his yard, like barking at kids to get off of it. <laughs> get off my lawn. It's like, get off my lawn, kids. Like you're, you're Clint you're, Eastwood and uh, yeah, Gran yeah, Torino. Exactly. It's like, get off my yard, right? But for me, it's like, I don't even know where this happened, but like, I really want the industry to just stop putting so much dial text on their dials. Like, this is so <laughs> trivial, but I feel like nowadays, brands that are still kind of doing this are almost doing it from like a like low hanging fruit consumer, like somebody who's going to stumble into your store knows nothing about what watches they're buying and ends up buying a watch. And it's like, Oh, look, it says that it's 200 meters water resistant. I can go swimming with it. Like, and it's like, just show off to your friends. Like I think about this. It's like, I just saw, we talked about the FXD and I yeah. like, I can't get over this. It's like you created a new watch and you still removed lines of text, mind you from the stand, the standard production Pelagos today. And yet it's still a novel. And it's like, is it really necessary that it says Pelagos and chronometer and officially certified and water resistance rating? Like, is all that necessary or, or, or are those aspects that could have been incorporated on the underside of the movements or of the, uh, the case back design? You know, maybe not directly in the center where you're going to put the MN logo and the year and everything, but maybe around the periphery. It's like, 200 meter water resistance, right? Yeah, a lot of like it's like like why? Why are we still feeling the need to smack everything on there? And it's funny because like as we were preparing for this podcast, like I was looking at the art deco stuff, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, why aren't brands doing this? Like I found I came across some some old like art deco wall thumbs and boulevards. There was a long jeans that was in. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like it just says the name. Like it, there's no manual winding. There's no automatic winding. It's just like Bulova, like inquire further to find out like how to operate this watch. And I feel like brands, if you are selling watches to, to watch enthusiasts, which we know can be a, a, a pretty decent segment of the population's buying watches. Um, we know if it's manual wind, we know if it's automatic, right? Like I know what the water resistance rating could be, or I can figure it out. Right. I don't need it to be like emblazoned all over my dial because you ruin the dial aesthetic. Like I was looking at the first generation of the Pelagos and it just said like Tudor Genève. And I think it, I don't even think it said Pelagos on it. It just said like rotor self winding and that and then and then the, the depth rating. Like that was it. It was like two lines on the top, two lines on the bottom. And I'm like, that is the greatest Pelagos that has ever been created. Don't at me. Like that is, that is the Pelagos by which all other Pelagos is or Pelagi. Is it Pelagi or Pelagos? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's, that, <laughs> that is the, that is the one Pelagos by which all other Pelagi will be measured. And well, that's like you were talking about dial. the uh, original black bay with the smiley text. Like I, I've, yeah. everybody loves that one. Like, why did they kill it? It's like, I feel like the crown just kills everything people love. It's like, oh, I love the flower and the smiley dial. And they're like, all right, we have to take it out back and shoot it right in the face. We have to destroy it for everyone. No, you have to buy what's new. You have to buy our Skittle colored Oyster Perpetual. Uh, uh, don't even give me. Did you hear they already like potentially discontinued the turquoise model or the quote unquote Tiffany blue? I guess that's cool. But again, it's totally irrelevant to me. I mean, I. I never really wanted one to begin with, but yeah, I'm, I, I didn't either, but you know, Hey, you know, now they're going to, they're already $25,000. Now they're going to go to 50. Cause like all of a sudden they're going to be discontinued. So it's everything nowadays. I mean, kids are making pictures that you can screenshot and selling them for crazy money. These an NFTs. NFT. What is up with these NFTs, man? I, I just... don't know, man, but I, I used to be a, a real wizard in MS paint, man. I'm about to hit that jackpot real hard. <laughs> we should start creating watch related NFTs and selling them. I had a dude hit me up in my DMs asking me if I want to buy watch-related NFTs. No way. He did not get a message back. Dang it. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? Hmm. Maybe there's a market for this. Maybe there's not. Bro, we might need the corner of the market. We might need to shove that guy out. <laughs> corner of the market quickly. The screenshot memes are hysterical. That's I know. It's just screenshotting like, NFTs. It's like, oh, let me just pixelate this monkey and just like screenshot. Like now I have it forever, even though you paid four hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars for. Like it's just like it's like how and why. I mean, this is a this is a discussion for another podcast. Yeah, this is like but, a 
economic disaster podcast where like everything is just fake money <laughs> i just like uh, I, I, can't. That's kinda, I can't i feel i feel that way about the watch industry sometimes where i'm like everything is just fake money i see what <laughs> things come out for and i'm like who's got this who's buying this like maybe i just underestimate how much money everybody has but you mean, you mean like, it's you just play it's just play money you mean you didn't pre-order the swatch uh system 51 neon for hoodinky i didn't even look twice at that i'm not gonna okay. lie to you <laughs> I, I will say this though i actually kind of low-key like it because of the way that they did the date so it's it's cool it's fine uh i already have a system 51 so i don't really need another one but but it is there and it's kind of it's kind of cool but it's 25 dollars more than the standard version of the system 51s used to be it's 175 versus the 150 uh mm-hmm. it's that hoodinky markup yeah or i guess maybe the date i don't know it doesn't matter yeah, so there you go. Less dial text. That's what yeah, I want. No, the, cl the clutter is a real thing, man. Visual clutter, and that's, like I said, it's something I, I have to deal with in my profession, right? When you're, when you're presenting somebody, something to somebody, it has to be visually pleasing. I mean, there's a whole thing about how if you present someone food, if it looks better, it's going to taste better, like psychologically. Yeah. And that's, that's a real thing. And, oh, 100%. And it's like, weird. Who wants it's, to eat food that looks horrible? Like I want my food to have like ornate little decorations and like look like shapes and like look cool, like because that's cool. And then you want vivid, bright colors because it looks like it's fresher, things like that. Like we're eating with our eyes before we even stick it in our mouth. Yeah, right? that's like, like kind of like the running cliche that that goes on in food is oh you eat with your eyes, but yeah, but they teach you off the bat like you're supposed to plate in odd numbers because it it's not pleasing to the eye, but it it um agitates the eye in like a way that makes things interesting odd numbers and i don't know what, what do you mean by odd numbers? like if you're gonna put something on a plate and you're gonna give i don't know f like four of something you either give three or five like ah yeah. okay so like it was like, like like if you were gonna put four asparagus as, as your side you give them five instead because it's supposed to be odd numbers interesting yeah like it's i would have never i would have never thought that but you know now that you mention it it's like thing. you can never you can never get four chicken strips. You can always get three or you can get five. It's like, okay. I see what you guys are doing here. I see what you guys are doing. But yeah, but it's it's one of those things. Like when you try to teach people to plate, there's not really any formula you can give them. You just have to become good at it with your eye before yeah. you can be any good. And it's well, it's frustrating to watch people come along. And I'm sure it was frustrating to watch me in the beginning. But just seeing it from the other side where People are struggling to make it look good. Meanwhile, if I had stuff in my hand, I would throw it on there, pat, 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 and I would be like, all right, this looks great. Send it out. Yeah. It's just very weird being on two different ends of it. Yeah. But that's how I, I feel when I, when I look at watches a lot of times. I'll, I'll look at it as a presentation, and I'll say either this is very cluttered or this is, seems out of place or mm -hmm. this is pulling my vision away from the overall look of the watch. Yeah. It's just an interesting overlap. Have you have you ever on a on a completely unrelated note? Have you ever followed that or watched any of that that uh, YouTube guy's ID guy on on YouTube? Yeah, like I he's a, he's an industrial designer and like he critiques things in symmetry. And it's like it's so true. Like color balance, symmetry, the way things are incorporated into design. It's like it feels like in some cases brands overlook this. And and then there are some real winners like where you get just like it's it's perfect and it looks amazing. Yeah. So it's just like I I just want everything to be beautiful and <laughs> and symmetrical and gorgeous and just like make you want to buy it even more than they already do. So I guess I guess they are succeeding in that respect. Yeah. But uh okay, all right. All right. Um I have a few more. So I think the next main one for me and this is this is kind of a pipe dream. I don't even know if I've discussed it before, but you guys know I'm an Omega fan. I really want a new Omega GMT watch to come at some point. Like, I would really want this. What model uh, would it be? Uh, I would want it in 300 meter for sure, but I would want it to be a true divers GMT, not a three time zone GMT. Like, okay. I don't need a 300 meter with a 24 hour bezel. Why? Because under no circumstances would I ever time three time zones. I want a GMT diver 300 meter with a true diving bezel and an internal 24 hour scale. Okay. Like that, that's what I want. 
because for me right now, Omega quite begrudgingly for me is like, they make the 300 meter or they make the GMT and the planet ocean. Right. And it's just like that planet Ocean's cool, but you can't really use that bezel diving because it rotates bi-directionally. Yeah. And if you bump it and all, and, and I'm, I'm one of the weird guys. Like when I'm diving, I actually time my dive. It's my dive watch. I still have my dive computer, but I have my dive watches. Well, backup. you said they, they go out on you sometimes, right? A dive computer. I, I mean, yeah, man. Like I've been underwater. Batteries have stopped. Like I've seen guys on dives, like they broke their LCD screen into a coral reef, you know, like stuff happens. And this is why people were like, yeah, you don't really need a dive watch when you it's like uh, redundancies are a thing. Now, technically, I guess you could dive with two dive computers. But let's be honest. Part of diving is looking cool while you're diving. So like, <laughs> look good, play so, good. Exactly. So like if you're going to do it, like why not do the Jason Heaton thing? Like rock a dive computer because that's modern spec. It's safety. It's so you don't die or get bent underwater. And then on the opposite wrist, rock your traditional analog dive watch because that's what you should do, right? So for me, I really want a, a Seamaster 300 meter, which for me is like the ultimate dive watch, but fit it with a 24-hour bezel internal, right? It doesn't need to rotate or anything. I just need it to reference a secondary time zone and give me the, the unidirectional rotating bezel. That I think would be perfect. And I think for a lot of people, it's, it's enough of a GMT that it's like, okay, Omega made a great GMT, but it's not so much of a GMT where everyone's like, oh, look, they made a GMT Master 2 clone, or it's a, it's an homage, or it's a copy, or it's none of that. Like, it's its own Omega language. Right. That's what I want. And I think a lot of people would probably want the same thing. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, make it cool, maybe. Get me to spend more money. Omega. I want to buy more watches, but make some cool ones. Hey, man, that that new Globy is a little. Uh, what, cool what, little what do you thing. What do you think? The annual calendar. It's nice. Yeah. What do you think? I like the green. Two tone. I want to see in person, but I like the burgundy. But I'm burgundy a, sick. I'm a slut for Sedna, so I want to see that one the most. Ooh. You know the you know the markers on that are black onyx. Oh, of course they are. Because why wouldn't they be? No, that that thing is probably nuts in person. Yeah, it's I, I I haven't seen it. They're obviously not in stores yet, but I assume probably because they released it, you know, this week or whatever, that it's probably going to be start shipping very soon, probably before the holidays, which which is what I would imagine. Um, but that uh, that's Sedna, man. The two tone in Sedna is good. That full Sedna, the full with, Sedna. The, yeah. with that or massif dial. It's a full Sedna gold pie pan dial, too. Which is even more of a flex. So it's not like gold tone. Like it's solid gold. Well, it's in the vein of that watch that I kind of wanted from a couple episodes ago. It's it's that pie panty, that old constellation look. I mean, I know it's in a 41 millimeter case, but it's got all those vibes to it, man. But you know what, man? That's that's 41 millimeters of sweet, delicious red gold. Yeah. Okay. Like that is like people are like, oh, it's not, it's not thin enough. Like, no, you know what? When I wear that watch, I want everyone to see it. Okay, like that is not a watch for me to hide under a shirt cuff. Like that's a watch for me to flex and just be like, mm, right on the table, right? Like that's what I want. That's the kind of watch that I want. And with those black onyx markers, man, I, I can only imagine what this watch looks like in person. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge Goldmaster fan. I mean, I own one, so it's, uh, I want to see it in person. Yeah, and that actually brings me to one of my last ones is, I want more precious metals. More precious metals. Yeah. All things come back in style, right? Gold has kind of been out for a while. I think it's due for a comeback. There's so many different hues and kinds now. We have bronze gold, pink gold, red gold, two-tone. Everybody's got their own fancy gold now, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The whole steel thing, it's... For me, it feels kind of played out. I'm tired of saying steel sports. I'm tired of seeing watches that all look alike. I like gold. I I like the classic two-tone Datejust. Cute case the, materials. The 80s are back, man. Yeah, the 80s yeah. are coming back. Hey, man, yeah. that Patrick Bateman, that's a that's a real... Although, I think I really think that was a Seiko in the movie. Some people have said. Uh, in which movie? In American Psycho. 
Uh, you know, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I That's a rumor that I've seen on forums is that that's actually the Seiko two-tone and not a Rolex. But mm. either way, I, I would love to know if somebody actually knows. Yeah. But, but I'm just, I'm done with, I I have so many steel watches. I don't need 18 more. You know, yeah. and the, the Q case materials thing has been fun. There's been a lot of bronze, right? Tudor has all these crazy materials, 925 silver and everything they like to use. But give me some shiny, high polished gold in whatever hue you want. Hey, right? I mean it's they a, got it's a timeless look that just they, says they, flash, bro. They, bro, they got it for you. It's that solid eighteen karat avocado green bezel black bay. Just oh, that's the one. <laughs> that's that's the one for you, my friend. It's like that's 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 the baby girl right there. That is the watch. No offense to anybody who might own that who listens to this, but it's just like for me, I saw that and I was like, no. <laughs> It's like when they made that 925 too. It's just like, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. But here's the funny thing. I challenge you to, to do this. If you ever see anybody with a 925, look at the lugs and look at the bezel. It dents so easily that everyone I've ever seen post it, it's dented everywhere. Now I got to look. I know a few people every, who have every, one. I gotta, every, I gotta check everywhere it. because it's, it's soft. Not, silver is a softer metal than steel. Yeah. So it's like, catastrophic like and they're not like small like they're like little divots you know it just it just implodes on itself i have a i have a gold timepiece and it's just like you breathe on it it's just like it's just like craters i'm like oh yeah the closer you get to 24 carats it's like (laughs) oh man it just craters but anyway it's and and the other thing too is like some of the earlier 925s like they're turning yellow and like it was so funny because like Tudor was like, this watch will never oxidize or change colors. Like, yeah, maybe not the brown, but it's going the opposite direction and it's looking yellow. So Uh-oh. I don't know. Tudor stability. Maybe it's not there. That's the nice part about gold. It's already yellow. You know, <laughs> everything wants to go back to yellow, traditionally yeah. speaking. But, which is, you know, which give is me, cool. an, like I said, give me an all gold constellation or a day date or a Sedna Speedy and I could die happy. Yeah. I could roll with one of those. That could be my one watch collection, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there's something to be said for that, too, because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about my own collection. I actually have a solid gold. I have a bunch of steel models. I don't have anything in two-tone. And I think that that may be at some point in the near future for me to, to pick up is a, is a cool two-tone, whether it's an actual full two-tone or if it's, you know, just, you know, played it like i don't i don't particularly care but i just don't have anything that's that style in my collection currently um so that would maybe be a cool thing to look at there's some watches that certainly do it well but i'm i'm definitely not going to run out and get a date just it's just not gonna happen <laughs> that's that's that is not for me that is not for me so which which uh if you're gonna do a gold watch or a two-tone watch which would you get i would kill somebody for a set and a speedy Hundred. The new one. The yeah. new one. Yeah. Oh, that watch is. Uh, that watch is. I would commit murder for that watch. <laughs> Have you ever seen one in person? No, and I tried to tally up all the value of my watches and see if I just sold them all if I could buy one, and I think I'm still a little short. But I would say this though: don't sell your whole collection for that one watch, dude. I would. Oh, so I, I think so you would sick. regret it, man. I think you would, th- this would be the episode we just aired last week. You'd be like, you'd be down to the one watch collection because you paired everything off. Well, I'd have watches that have no value that I couldn't have sold, like my Timexes and stuff. So, oh my god, so you're, <laughs> so you're gonna be rocking a full set of gold speedy on every single day, and on the weekends, you'll put on your Timex weekender, <laughs> yeah, buddy. That my G Shock, uh, oh my god, know if I'm rich or poor. People are like literally unsubscribing for our podcast as we speak. That I think is, people is, are down. I think they would go for that too. <laughs> They're like, we're just going to double risk Timex Weekender on one and full set the gold Speedmaster on the other wrist. That's how we're going to do this from now on. Now I think I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> we put it out into the universe. Now it's yeah. going to become official, right? That's right. Oh man, that is too funny. That is too funny. You have uh, you have any more left? after that? I, ha- I have one more. I have one more is- too. Okay, this is kind of like for me something that I really want to see uh, a resurgence of. I really want to see watch competitions again. And let me kind of explain what I'm talking about here. Um, I think 
we're getting to the point where brands are starting to really push the envelope of technology and development. And they're really kind of positioning themselves against one another, which for me is a good thing because I want brands to, I want brands to be cutthroat and, and start just fighting and creating new technologies and battling it out and really pushing each other to make better products and put stuff out for the end consumer. Because this was stuff that we used to see happen like in the sixties, uh, in the fifties in the golden age of watchmaking, like brands were really competing against one another. In some cases, some of their marketing campaigns were direct attacks against other brands. And I think we need that again. I want brands to kind of put away the, the PC thing of like, Oh, we make a great watch. They make a great watch, but you know, they just do it differently. Like, no, like we're going for the jugular, like whatever they're doing is not good. We're doing it better. Like, I want to see that again. I want to see healthy competition. I want to see brands duking it out. Like, uh, to use kind of a more contextual example, right? Like Omega, they have Master Chronometer. Tudor, coming out with Master Chronometer. Like that is a competition. Like regardless of what you want to say, quality-wise, certification-wise, it doesn't matter. Like one brand is coming for the other brand. At least that's the perception that I have. So I want to see more of that. I want to see brands compete and fight it out and give us better products for the clients. Because ultimately, we as consumers are the ones that directly benefit. More technology comes out, more industrialization comes out, more development comes out, and ultimately we will benefit because we get sold a better product. Yeah, no, healthy competition is good. I mean, there's no two ways about it. When people feel like they have to compete against each other, it kind of pushes everybody to push their own boundaries and approach things from new angles and, you know, try to develop and innovate. It's It gets boring when everything is just kind of a, Oh, what do you have? Oh, okay. What do you have? Oh, kind of similar, but different. Okay. Like, give me some rivalry. Give me some, we are the best dive watch company or we make yeah. the best chronographs. Like you have so many companies that are into that stuff, right? Like you have Zenith, you have Tag Warrior, right? They're huge chronograph companies, right? Why shouldn't they be in competition with each other? Yeah. Right. And it's even, not just Rolex and Omega or yeah, Tudor it, or whoever. Yeah, exactly. And it, it doesn't need to be in the same price point too. Like, give me something. I want to see, I want to see Tag go after Omega, right? Like, I want to see them climb, you know, uh, price points or deliver new technology because again, it makes everybody better. And this was kind of a, a controversial topic back in the day, but I don't know if you remember this or maybe maybe you weren't in the watches at this point yet. But many years ago. At a ETA was like, hey, if you're not Swatch Group, like we're not selling you watch movements. Oh, yeah. Anymore. Yeah. You, you remember this story? Yes. So it's like everyone's like, oh, my God, they're cutting off the suppliers and they're really trying to choke out the competition. It's like, no, guys, like you're benefiting off of the research, the development, the production, the industrialization of ETA. And yes, they sell you the movement. But at the end of the day, you're slapping your own branding and making a giant profit on it. And you didn't do anything. You didn't innovate anything. And so Hayek Senior was like, hey, we're done. Like, well, I'm tired of creating all of these things and you buying them and then making them and selling them as if you did it. Like, no. And as soon as that happened, like horror started coming out with in-house movements. Other brands are coming out with in-house movements. You start, seeing, you start seeing competitor companies making their own ETA versions of movements. Like, the entire industry benefited from this. Not only Swatch Group as an entity, not only small independent companies, but other people started to kind of get into this capitalistic idea. It's like, hey, maybe I can design a movement and people will buy movements from me, right? If you had looked 10 years ago, 15 years ago, do you think Oris would be making in-house movements? No. No, they wouldn't have needed to because they would have just kept buying them from, 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 uh, from ETA, right? So it's like... That has given us the Calibre, right? The 400 series movements. And like, now we have the pointer date and it's an in-house movement with, I think it's got a 10 day power reserve too. It's like, that is something that Oris would have never been forced to do had ETA and the Swatch Group been like, guys, we're done. Like, we'll continue making you parts. We'll continue giving you service things up until this point in time. But at that, after that threshold, like you're going to have to figure some stuff out. You're going to have to make stuff your own and, and really take the brunt of this cost as well as a brand. And again, we, we as consumers benefit directly from it. It may not seem that way in brands, you know, in this, especially Swiss and British and German companies, they're very like, you know, 
set in their ways in a lot of things and they want to do things and make changes, but they're going to do them kicking and screaming. For us as consumers, we need we need the industry to constantly keep evolving and we need people to kind of get challenged and, and put new, better stuff out there. So as much as it may have been a shock to the industry at the time, I think, you know, seeing the the progression over the years, it's it's been good for us. Yeah. And I remember at first, I, I know a lot of people who freaked out were like the micro crowd because yeah. they couldn't offer at a movements anymore. Yeah. But I mean, they have Salido, they have Miyota. They have well, and, 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 and technically, and, you know, there are some brands that can still get them somehow. They may have, you know, partnerships or, or, or contractual obligations that they still have to fulfill. So there are, there are available out there. Like you can buy some of these things still, but you're right. It was like, where did Salita come from? It just came out of nowhere. Like all yeah. of a sudden, like, yeah, it's a Salita SW200. Like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's basically an, it, an ETA 2824. It. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, it's basically an ETA 2824. Then Zodiac, like, uh, they, they have their own version. I think it's like the STS one or something like yeah. that. Like it's, it's essentially the same thing, but it's a, a, a fossil group Zodiac version of, uh, of the ETA 2824. It's like, okay, great. Other people are making this. Other people are benefiting from this stuff. And every single one will be slightly, a little inherently different, but the fundamental principles of how the watch movement was designed and created are essentially the same. So you know, you're still going to get the same type of performance and spec and, and, and that kind of thing out of these things. So again, it's good for us. We need it. We need it. And speaking of innovation, I guess this, I will lead into my last one is something that certain brands are doing that I feel like everybody needs to get on board with. Omega does it a little Cartier does it. There's a lot of micros doing it now. It's the easy strap system. Yeah, it doesn't all have to yes. be the same one. Your own proprietary one is cool, but I'm done scratching my case, <laughs> gouging my hand. Yeah. I don't know if you ever tried to change the bracelet on a black bay, dude. That is no. a tight tolerance. Let me tell you, that is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the little the little gap is very small. Oh my god, and I and I I have a pretty good spring bar tool, and I've stabbed myself over and over again trying yeah. to get. That Especially thing. when it is a good spring bar tool, like it's extra sharp. Yeah, because like the tolerances are even sharper. So like, yep. it's, like it, it's like a needle hitting your skin. Yeah, it is. And so I've shed plenty of blood. Lost a many a spring bar to the carpet. Yeah. But a lot of independent strap makers are on board with it. They're doing the easy lug systems. Yeah, it can't be too hard for these big brands to do it. And I'm not saying yeah. everybody has to use that same one with the little. It looks like the door lock on it. But yeah, yeah. come up with like your own system. proprietary thing, man. Some of them have a push button I've seen or like a trigger. Figure it out. Every drilled lugs was fun, but not every design fits drilled lugs. No, like I don't want those on my super dressy watches always. Well, and 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 the other thing too that people don't realize about drilled lugs is eventually, as you service it and refinish the case, that starts to wear down on the metal, and you actually can start wearing through cases. I believe that. Yeah, it's it's not something that you're. It's not something that you're likely to encounter until like, you know, 20, 30 years down the road. But I mean, it's possible. Like if you polished your watch, like every few years, like you could start wearing away the metal and start exposing um, the hole. Yeah. I tell people that about, um, about knives. Well, there's only so much steel. Every time you sharpen it, you're taking steel off. Eventually I have like a, like an old boning knife came with like my first kit. That thing is skinny, man. Like just from sharpening it, but that's, it's a real thing. It's, you just keep taking metal away, and next thing you know, there wasn't that much there to begin with. It's gonna yeah. be gone. Yeah. So that's 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 interesting, but uh, but I uh, but I like that. I I certainly do agree. We need more micro adjustment clasps, and we need more easy chain strap systems. Yeah. Well, I think that's I think that's a big point for people nowadays is is bracelets and technology involved. I know certain people even right now who are looking for watches and I've mentioned ones that don't have a bracelet option and they, they simply will say, no, there's no bracelet option. Mm -hmm. And with a bracelet, I mean, especially if you have a high end watch, they're going to want some technology. They're going to want a nice adjustment system. They're going to want yeah. some easy wearing, whether it be something like an easy link or, or an adjustable clasp or something. Yeah. I think we're at a point where everybody can offer something in that vein. I'm not saying you have to go and make the Pelagos bracelet. I talk about all the time, but yeah, yeah. even the, the micro brands now are doing adjustable clasps and I'm not trying to play them up as punks, but like if they can do it, big brand with all their money can get yeah. something done. 
Yeah. And I, I've said this argument before, though, is I think a lot of the big brands, they're slow to adopt because they want to see really kind of the market penetration of this. Right. So I feel like a lot of the big brands will kind of sit back and wait for the micros to do stuff, because let's be honest, the micros aren't beholden to shareholders. And no, they're, they're way more agile. Able, they're way more agile. So as soon as an industry need presents itself, they're like, boom. We're going to adopt this and we're going to start rolling with it. And you can do it on a smaller production scale so you can really control every aspect of it, right? The big brands are like, okay, well, they seem to be doing really well with this. People seem to like this. People seem to like that. All of a sudden, boom, they switch it out, right? When you don't do this, you get this, you get the crazy weird things that like just fade away into obscurity. Like, I don't, I don't know if you remember when like the wearables was kind of becoming a more of a thing. And like watch brands are like trying to create like smart leather straps to like track steps and things, but they were fitted to like traditional mechanical watches. Did, did you ever see this? No, but it's like sort of like a Fitbit strap. Yeah. So like like uh, Mont Blanc was doing this. I think even IWC at one point had a strap like this. It was basically, it was a strap that had some type of technology inside of it, like a accelerometer or some type of like whatever and it was connecting to your smart device so as you moved around your day you had your steps you know measured all that stuff you could track you know heart rate maybe i don't remember exactly what it was but it was a way to track all of your stuff from your phone on your watch but your watch was still traditionally mechanical huh. it was just like a smart strap and i remember thinking to myself I'm like who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> like one, it's hideous. Two, it doesn't look great on all these watches because it's like retrofitting it together. And and I will say this: from a novel concept, it's certainly imaginary. Or um, imaginative. Yeah, thank you. It's certainly imaginative, and uh, and 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 innovative. But at the end of the day, from the practical end user standpoint, I'm like, so am I going to have to do like? firmware updates for my leather strap am i gonna like like what's the end goal here and and nowhere in the micro watch seed was that like a thing and and obviously at this time micro brands were existent like nobody's like we're not we're not doing this guys <laughs> and all of a sudden like it was out for like a year or two and then it's like it kind of like quietly faded away into obscurity it's like i i'm not gonna let these brands live this down like they like you need to be it happened your, people yeah, don't forget like, yeah exactly people don't forget but it's true it's true. It's like, I think big brands are waiting for micros to kind of take that step forward. Um, free market research. Abso <laughs> absolutely. They're like, oh, well, this uh, this little Halios came up with a cool kind of push button system in the class to adjust it. Maybe my new IWC watch that I'm going to launch can have that same type of class extension system. It's like, yeah, they look pretty a, similar to me. We got a bunch of money to research it. Exactly. And it's all free, right? I mean, yeah. and Especially with social media, things can get shared so much quicker. You can see design schematics. You know, brands are posting how their watches articulate and open. It's like somebody can just reverse engineer these components and, and figure out another way to do it. So um, I really, truly do believe that big brands, because they have so much money and they're very slow to make calculated risks like that, um, they, uh, they got to wait till the little guys kind of knock it out of the park first. Then they'll move in. Yeah, I totally get that. That's it for me, my friend. You got anything else? That's the last one. You no, got any that was stragglers. That was it for me. I, I'm sure there's more. I, there's always things I think of throughout my day or my commute, and I'm like, oh, I got to bring this up, and then I got to write things down. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I probably have like notebooks full of stuff. If I did no, that. we do. I mean, like, it's not like we just like wing it. We all we we prepare for these things. We come, oh no we, doubt we, we no understood doubt. the assignment. So I got to get a. Uh, like a, a mental note maker, like a little recorder and throughout my day, just note, note uh, to yes. self. <laughs> RIP Norm like a, like a like a Like a journalist, you know, just like. If you've ever seen Dirty Work, Norm MacDonald the Dirty Work has a little recording. Note to self, but he has all these hilarious <laughs> sayings. RIP Norm. He was such a, Norm. such a, such Epic. a good, Epic yeah, comedian. such an amazing comedian. Um, okay. Well, hey, uh, I will say this though, before we, before we do officially sign off, I do want to say, um, to all of our, our loyal listeners and fans and stuff. And I'm, this is episode eight. So thank you guys for hanging out with us. But I really do also appreciate the, the comments. We've been getting a lot. I know bro and I are kind of trading back and forth in the comments space on, on Instagram. 
Um, I haven't received any emails from you guys yet, so that's that's fine. Um, but we do check and we try to respond as quickly as we can. We appreciate you guys tagging us in your posts and your stories. So it does mean a lot. So I do want to give you guys a shout out and just say thank you for the support. Um, we really do appreciate it. And uh, and uh, we're going to keep producing the content for you guys. So, bro, have we have we come up with a name for our for our fans? Like Paneristi? Yeah, I'm like, I mean, do we have like a community name? <laughs> I don't know. I I gotta come up with one. Uh, I, I was I was thinking like, are they cheeseheads or like? I keep going back to the Packers. I don't know why. I just okay. Well, I'll, I'll say this: if you are listening to this podcast and you have a clever, insightful name for which to refer to Rich Cheese Radio fans, please DM us in the comments on Instagram at Rich Cheese Radio. Give us a drop. Say hi. Let us know your thoughts. And maybe if you guys pick a good one, only if it's a good one. Well, we maybe we'll start referring to you guys uh, as as that said name, the Cheeseristi. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, man. That's all I got. Yeah. All right. On that note, I think episode eight is in the books. Schmidt, it's been a pleasure. Take Boy. care, all you beautiful folks out there. We'll see you next week. Sayonara. Sayonara.